Hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford coming to you from a rainy Dallas, Texas on this Wednesday evening, a day which shall live in infamy, December 7th, only this year, 2022. It's great to be able to reach out to our Saints Network family and to our church here in Dallas. I want to remind this church that at 6 o'clock this evening, we will be gathering in the sanctuary for a prayer time, just a time to come and love the Lord, to give ourselves before him first fruits, praise, and adoration. And um, let's, uh, I'm hoping you can be here. Those of you who cannot be here, set that time aside to gather wherever you may be before the Lord. And I believe that it is really an ordained point of offering that we have been urged by the Spirit to give to the Lord today. So let's do this. I want to direct our attention to the book of Luke. Sylvie tried to teach me how to say that properly. I still fail miserably. I can say it in English, Luke, but you, you have to you have to project in French. You have to let your breath come alive in a good way as it proceeds from your mouth as you say the name of Luke. So, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 41 through 40, let's see, this is what's known as the Magnificat, and um, we're going to look particularly at the beginning of what is known as the Magnificat. But let's let's read this. I'll read till I feel like I should stop. Mary, of course, went to the hill country. That means something here in Texas. Uh, there's an area of our state called the hill country. But this was uh, a city in Judah. And entered into the house of Zacharias and said hi to Elizabeth. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary that John the Baptist, the baby, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which, will to which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. There it is. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. Now, this is 
called the Magnificat. It's from the Latin. Uh, it really is my soul magnifies. And uh, it is really an important part of Catholic liturgy. And in fact, if you were to listen, and you can, to the Magnificat online, it doesn't say anything bad. It it says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And then it really quotes the large portion of this passage. Um, this, because we in Protestantism felt that the Catholics glorified Mary more than they should, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis um, in in Protestant churches about this. Uh, it's the scripture, we respect it, but it really was put on the back burner kind of as a, I would think, as a, as a reaction to the over-exaltation that was felt to be uh, demonstrated amongst the Catholics. But it's it's really stunning to me, though, that many countries, even to this day, do not allow this scripture to be quoted in public. In fact, India, Argentina, Guatemala, and some others make it illegal for this to be quoted because it was used as a kind of a, a revolutionary chant, as it were, against governments that were considered to be restrictive. And it, it was really used as, um, in some ways, as a prayer to topple governments, which is kind of an interesting thing to me. But um, the point, though, is that this does celebrate a glorious meeting between two women who were bearing miraculously children who would usher in the new covenant. And I, I know that we, we need to be balanced in our consideration of how we utilize this, but it is the word of God, and what it says has great bearing for us as saints, and uh, really for anyone who would um, embrace the scripture. And now they say this is the song of Mary. I, I it says that Elizabeth said in a loud voice. Uh, I have a hard time thinking that this was like a Broadway production, that as soon as Elizabeth said this, the music cues, the angel choir gets going, and Mary busts out with, My soul does magnify the Lord. It really is a prophetic pronouncement. and um, But you'll hear this being said is the, is the song of Mary. Can you imagine that? What if life was that way? If... <laughs> <laughs> if we just busted into song at any given moment. <laughs> kind of like a Pont Monty Python sing scene where the one uh, light in the loafers uh, prince was up in the tower and he kept wanting to sing. And his father came up and 
told him, you're going to marry this girl because they're great land holdings that it will bring to our family. <coughs> and, and the boy says, I don't want to marry her. And, and then the music starts off and the, the dad says, no singing, no singing. It just always makes me consider this when I think people actually think that Mary busted into some orchestral arrangement of my soul does magnify the Lord. But for us today, I felt that the Spirit was directing us to look at my soul does magnify the Lord, verses 46 and 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Here you have an enunciation concerning the soul and the spirit. What does this mean for us? So you have psychikos or psychikos, which is the soul, and you have the uh, the pneuma for the spirit. What does this mean for us? And how does our mind, our emotions, how are they supposed to respond and react? And how is our our spirit, the spirit within, supposed to react? This is this is important for us to see, because it it really is a formula for um, participating in in a miraculous partnership with God. Some people get confused when they look at the word uh, translated as soul, because they see it's sukakos, and we get our word psychology, psych psycho, psycho, psyche, we get that from it. And when you look at it, which some of you have, it says to breathe. How is that uh, associated with the breath of the Lord or the breath of the Spirit? Well, in, in the ancient culture, this word soul indicated a living being. And it indicated what came out of the mouth or the nostrils indicating that a person was alive, but also indicating expressions that would communicate what was going on in their thinking and and in their exertions. You know, we breathe differently with the things we do. Um, if you're working or if you're if you're working out, perhaps you're huffing and puffing. You're going up steps. I remember there was a lady that was in our church, and when we had the choir going full bore, you had to climb a whole bunch of steps to get up to that choir room. And every time she'd come into the the choir room, she'd stop, stick her tongue out, and go, <sighs> and it it just was kind of a a funny thing, and I, I could imitate her, which I used to do, and everybody knew who it was. I'd say, tell me who this is. And I'd walk up there and do that, and they'd all say her name. Um, sometimes we, we, uh, we pant because we're exerting ourselves in, uh, in running or working out. Sometimes we take a deep breath when we're needing to consider something. I know sometimes when you go to the doctor and they're going to do a test, the doctor will say, okay, now breathe. Because people have a tendency to hold their breath in anticipation of something that they might feel is going to be painful or um, invasive. Um, you, you hold your breath with anticipation. We, we say things like that poetically. 
with bated breath. You know, those kinds of things. And there was the idea not only of life, but of how you were viewing the things around you. And subsequently then that became an association with the mind and with your emotions and how you process things. So yes, it said you were alive, but yes, it also said, what does this indicate about what they're thinking and how they are processing scenarios? Hence, then, it became a, a psychology. It became a, um, an assessment of a viewpoint. That makes sense? So it really is not confusing when you think about this being at the root breathing as opposed to pneuma or the spirit or the breath who in the Old Testament ruach. Because and as we'll talk about in a moment, which you should know, that's the deposit of the breath of God, the, the wind of the spirit within you, the essence of God. The deposit of his ways within you that is born again through Christ. Every person has it. Every person on this earth will give up the ghost or the spirit when they die. And there's an Old Testament verse, <coughs> excuse me, that says nobody by reason of their will will be able to control that moment when they surrender the spirit back to God. It's, it's very interesting. So, when Mary in Broadway full-throated song, joking, says, my soul, she's talking about things that she has had to embrace mentally and pace herself emotionally and in her physical body and expressions. And she had to do that. In fact, the scripture says in verse 48, he that hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. <clears throat> she knew low estate, low estate, not lowest state. Have you met my friend low estate? Uh, she knew that she was publicly humiliated. That's what low estate means. She knew that she was viewed with disdain by people because of what she had agreed to allow herself to embody in the, um, the miraculous conception, the immaculate conception of the Lord, our, our Lord Jesus. And I would dare say that whenever a person, now she was the only one who ever had this occur, where she was a virgin, but yet she had a child through the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would dare say, though, that anybody, as David Duplessis used to say, um, every person should be pregnant with Jesus in some way, every Christian. We should all be accepting of a miraculous partnership with God. That's what we're on this earth to achieve. And when that happens... Undoubtedly, people are going to view you in a low estate kind of perception. I've told you in the past about, and I've seen this in so many of my, my own 
parishioners and those in the Saints Network. You know, I I went to college, I went to seminary, I served on church staff here for seven years, pastored for ten years. In in public view, it was successful, and it wasn't only successful; it was it was really. Um, an indication of the blessing of the Lord. And then God asked us to partner with him in a way that was that is glorious. Well, immediately after a few years, my own siblings made no bones about saying that I had gone off the rails. In fact, one of my siblings decided to come and visit one of our sister churches very close church in florida i'm being vague with this but you know who i'm talking about but he they, this the sibling told the the children in his house okay we're going to go but if something gets weird we're we're going to leave they thought we were crazy false doctrines which always amazed me because they should have known me. Um, I never was prone to, to doing anything that would, because of the way we were raised, where we were in the very lowest rung of the socioeconomic community. We lived, when I was born, in the projects, literally in the projects. And then we moved, moved on up to the east side to a tiny house that was about 800 square feet total five kids mom and dad and we never had anything hardly I'm grateful for the Christian upbringing I'm grateful that I never was abused I'm grateful that I was in church I'm grateful that I had food to eat I'm grateful that I had friends to play with I'm grateful that at that time the school system hadn't completely gone to hell so my elementary school was still patriotic and, you know, embodying the American dream. Like I said, um, probably uh, probably 80%, 70% of my classmates were African-American. So for me, the American dream was a multicultural, multiracial group. We didn't even have some uh, Latin kids. There was a real sweet little girl that was in our class. I, I don't know. Of course, you're in grade school. I, I suspect that her uncle or her somebody in her family worked for the Pirates, and that's why she and her family were there because that was really the only reason at that point that anybody from south of the border would have been in Pittsburgh. Most of our immigrants were either Italian or Eastern European, and there was a big group of those. Um, so for me, saying the American dream was alive didn't mean that I was some cracker who just was surrounded by white people wanting to keep the brother down. I mean, I, you know, my, my, my next-door neighbor was an old black man, Mr. Holly. Of course, old at that time probably meant he was my age now. But I spent a lot of time over in his house with his 
nieces and his granddaughter, and uh, we we just go next door. Um, we had good good fellowship together, and he would make things for us. My mom would make things for him. Um, at that time, we would have. Uh, it was a custom that. At Easter, you could get little baby chicks. The kids would get live ones or, or baby rabbits, and you'd raise them. Well, after they got to a certain age, we'd give them to Mr. Holly, and he had a meal of them. <laughs> I, I know that was just another, an ancient day. But for me, um, I always was, was aware of the fact that, especially when I got into middle school, that not only were, was I different in in my Christian beliefs growing up in the assemblies of God, but we just didn't have the money to do other things. You know, when I played baseball, um, I had one of my old brother my my older brother's gloves that was just ancient, and um, uh, this is TMI, but I had a skill set to play baseball. I loved baseball. And um, one of my friends on the team, uh, he, he was from a wealthy family. And I was put into the position that he had played, and he moved out into the outfield. And so he had a really nice infielder's glove for shortstops and he gave me that glove because he said he wouldn't need it since he was moving out to center field that was a very kind thing I had that glove all through high school through college until I got married when I was moving down here I put it in my suitcase because I knew I was going to use it in American Airlines lost my suitcase bye-bye glove that's TMI but that's the kind of upbringing I had so I come back to this I watched over myself so that I didn't I didn't make our lowest socioeconomic condition known to everybody. I I I lived kind of under the radar because it was embarrassing to me. Um it it just was. And now all of us have things that we are embarrassed by even people who live in multi-million dollar mansions. That's why they do go to great extremes to keep showing people how good they are. So bring it to the point that my siblings certainly knew that. And um, they lived in the same household that maybe not, maybe they process this different from me. But they should have known that I wasn't going to do anything that purposely made me look like an idiot. And and if I was doing something for the Lord, which all of us saints have done, it was going to be based on a visitation of the Spirit in alignment with the Scripture, and we could prove this from the Word up and down, backwards and forwards. So I purposely wasn't going around the bend or off the deep end or doing some nonsensical thing. I had worked too hard to be a pastor, to watch over my people, to gain some measure of godly reputation 
And we had that, that if, if there was something going on in us that looked odd, knowing me, they should have known, hey, I know who he is. This isn't bizarro world. It may be different, but we trust him. Not so. So Mary, God knows what she had to endure. You know, we didn't, why in the world was she going to her cousin's house? Where's mom? I mean, one thing I've learned about life is that unless a mother is just insane, they're going to stick with their kids. They're going to stick with her daughter. Even, even if the daughter is just loopy. <laughs> I remember one time years ago, 30 years ago, there was a, there was a girl in the church who was really one of God's odd friends. She was kind of, she was always different, very different. And because of that, she would always put herself into positions, almost like having a kick me sign on her back. And you'd think, you know, if you just stop doing this, kind of like that scene from the Bad News Bears where the, where the tough kid said to the, to the little kid that was always getting picked on, if you'd wipe your nose once in a while, maybe people wouldn't throw you in the trash can. We all know people like this. But the point was, without being cruel, the mother just acted like anything this kid did, this girl did, was just as normal as could be. They just didn't see that she was just setting herself up for ridicule. And I would try and I would have the staff try to diffuse scenarios that you could see trouble was coming. And mom just didn't see it. And I'd say, finally, I met with this mother and of the girl and I said, look, Here's what she's doing. I've had other staff members tell you this, but it's just not normal. It's not a matter of pride. It's just something that she needs to maybe adjust her behavior because she's asking for trouble. Oh, okay, I never saw it that way. Well, why didn't you see it that way? Are you so blinded by your maternal devotion that you just think that this kid can do no wrong. So I know when you're usually when you're putting yourself out there, you want to you want to have some modicum of respect. I'm not talking about pride. Uh, you know, some of you say, well, that's just being prideful. Did, did you comb your hair before you went outside today? Why? Why did you do it? Because you didn't want people pointing at you saying, what happened to you? Did you get up in a windstorm? So just stick with me here. This phrase that Mary says, he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. That lowest state means that you are being openly mocked and ridiculed for a position that you have taken in obedience to the Lord. Maybe this is prophetic. In, in a certain way, where you die to self. Paul died daily. But the beauty of this is that God watched intently that, regarded. And um, 
because this woman of God was willing to embrace that condition on behalf of the greater good of obeying the mission and the mandate of the Father, God watched over her, and because of that, all generations shall call me blessed. Now, that sounds prideful, but it's not really what is meant there. From this point, generations after me are going to know the blessing of God, and they're going to recall that it was through this action that that blessing came to them. That makes a whole lot more sense than the adoration and the glorification of this woman by some in Christendom. So what would that mean for us? And we're going to get back to the soul and the spirit here in a minute. What God has given us as saints is dear to him. It is an honor to serve the Lord in this mission. Yes, it has meant that we've been called lots of things. We've been put on a public uh, public display by the enemy, by theatrons of the enemy. Yes, we, we receive curses weekly in our parking lot and on our doorsteps by miscreant individuals who are serving the demonic or being influenced by that. And I could list a, a dozen of them. I have pictures of many of them. So it's not me thinking it. We've lived it. Now, it's not a point of boasting. It's just that, um, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I've been made a spectacle for people on earth and, 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 and in, the, in the spirit realm. The apostolic message, a true apostolic message will do that. The church gets away from it. They want to be respectable. I mean, I remember debates that used to be had, and I, I'm lingering on this too much, in the movement we were in, where some would stand up and say, when we first began to move in the spirit, we were outcast. People would drive by and curse us and throw bottles at our door and, you know, just blow horns during our service uh, car horns to try to disrupt us. They called us crazy people, but now we're respectable. And we don't we don't want the spirit to do anything that would be abnormal because it might offend visitors. I understand that. I mean, there were some people in our church years ago who would do bizarre things that I knew really weren't the spirit inspiring them. It was just their idiosyncratic reaction to whatever they thought religion should be. And I, I thought, I really should do something about this as a pastor. But everybody here knows that they do these weird things. And it, it's not the spirit moving. It's just that this is their shtick. It's true. And... I just hope they don't do that. If somebody comes in, like a family comes in, I would think, dear God, if this person over here gets cranked up, what are these people going to think? Because what this person over here does is really not indicative of who we are. But then 
you have to be careful because if you throw the hammer down on any kind of action, like some of the folks who've come to our church, look, when the Spirit gets moving on you, we want you in another room because I remember one dear lady here told me that her pastor at the time who we knew from school said, you know, my father's going to be here, so I don't want you to do anything out of control today. (laughs) Crazy times. But legitimately, when you are embracing an apostolic calling, it's going to look weird. You don't have to try to be weird. It's going to it's going to be different to the normal flow of things. And Mary says God intently looks at that. But because of because of the willingness to embrace <clears throat> that condition on behalf of God. Generations are going to be blessed. And at some point, God's going to let them know that this scenario is what cost it. So, my soul magnifies the Lord. Your emotions, how you process what the Lord is asking. What what the Lord is asking. Here's Curios. This is the New Testament variety of Adonai. Everybody must do what God has created them to do. My soul is committed to that. This is before Jesus was born. We all know he is Lord. But so the Lord she's talking about is that dynamic of God in the old covenant that would equate with Adonai. I found my position and I'm serving God because it's from him. And so I'm going to magnify them. This is an interesting word because it magnify really talking can be talked about in a prideful way. In Matthew 23, you can look this up for yourself. You don't need an outline. If you have your Bible program, you just pop on that word and you'll see the same thing I'm looking at. You notice we're trying to get you to study. <laughs> on your phone or on your computer. So we're kind of not forcing you to do it, but we're encouraging you to do it many times as we study. And Jesus said that the Pharisees would, uh, Matthew 23, 5, make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. They'd make those, those, um, those phylacteries, those, those measures off the kanaf that would identify who they were or whatever, they would make them longer so people would see them and would enlarge that. Um, I I think this is very interesting. There are a lot of these um, in in Acts 10.46, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. It's it's really an expression of the soul. You know, where we where we want to speak of our God, but it could also be used for pride. One of my favorite passages is in Second Corinthians, and I've referenced this before regarding our mission. Um, 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 14, We stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boastings of, boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. It's interesting. Verse 13 of that chapter says, We will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us. Rule here is canon. It's where you get the canon of Scripture. And if you'll study this, you'll see that it is directly taken from the Hebrew, kana. That is the jealousy of the Lord. That is what God gives to us to partner with him. So Paul is saying here, we have to embrace that. And if you're really doing that, you don't have a whole lot of time or energy or inclination to be going off into some other person's teaching. Can you be aware of it? Yeah. But if you're really devoted to what God has given to you, you should invest yourself into that because it's an apostolic calling. Let that set in. Um, it would be like, you know, I go to things for my granddaughters and there are hundreds of other little kids in the productions. And some of them are really impressive in their ability to speak or whatever. And I admire their capacity. In fact, if they're a friend of my granddaughters, I'll, I'll tell them, you really did wonderfully today. I really like the way you did this. But I know who my grandkids are. I'm proud of them. I don't overly inflate what they do. They both can sing very well. They both have expression. They both can speak things. They've performed in commercial theaters here throughout the city. I'm so grateful for those opportunities that God has given to them and for Pastor Fabian and Kelly for being prayerfully watching over opportunities that come, declining some, accepting others. God has blessed them. I know that. I'm not hearing a kid sing off-key and saying, man, how can my kid sing? I'm not dumb when it comes to that. But I know who my grandkids are. And I don't see some other kid who maybe is exceptional in a certain way and say, you know what, I've got grandkids over here, but I really like this kid. How about if we... How about if we uh, just invest ourselves into them? you got to know what God has given you. And if you're confused about it, maybe you need to pray a little bit more. God's watching this. Your soul magnifies the Lord. Your soul should be devoted to what God has given you to represent apostolically. What if Mary had said, you know, I agreed to do this, but now I'm showing everybody's mocking me. You know, I have to be really concerned about my betrothed because he's already had thoughts of ditching me. I know an angel appeared to him, but that can be forgotten. Oh, you'd never forget an angel. 
I've seen people who've forgotten angelic visitations. Don't tell me that. As soon as the, the, the hot, the, the metal uh, hits the griddle, they, they start waffling. I've seen people who had dynamic counters with God abandon the calling of the saints and go after doctrines of devils. So if you don't think Mary thought that, at least in the darkness of the night, Thank God Planned Parenthood wasn't around. It's your body, Mary. Your choice. Your soul has to be devoted to what God has given you. Apostolically. Yes. Understand what's going on out in, in the realm, but this is your baby from God. Cherish it, not to the expense of everybody else, but know what God has given. So Paul says this in, in 2 Corinthians 10. He speaks that word of the rule. What God has given us, he's jealous over. You remember when Melchizedek met with Abram, and he uses this term to say, this, this is how... The Most High has covenanted with you. This is how you're his friend. It's through this word. Sometimes we think like it's an option. You know, I've met people who are so tied into their family that whatever comes down the pipe, that's the thing they're, that's the thing they're embracing. And again, we bless every movement, but know what you believe. Know what God has given you. And if it's a saintly calling, if it's something from his jealousy that he's given and entrusted you with, act like it. It's not the flavor of the month. This is your child with God. Act like it. My soul magnifies the Lord. Yeah, it's your soul. It's your mind. It's your thinking. You got This is where you die, to self. This is where you die on behalf of the needs of your household. I don't know how many times that's been the case in my family, my my nuclear, my immediate family. Needs come up in your kids. You do what you have to do to provide for them. We're getting ready to have a marriage. Our youngest daughter. <laughs> do you price weddings these days? You do what you have to do. Oh, but you could be really more frugal. Yeah, you tell, you tell me that when your time comes. <laughs> People are telling me to watch myself. I've watched what you did with your kids, so just don't give me any free advice here. Uh, it always amazes me. You know, you can see God moving. Um, it used to it always trouble me, church business meetings, when we would be working miracles and managing the funds God gives us as a church. And people would grapple over how we spent more money than what came in in tithes. We didn't go into arrears. All the bills are paid. And then somebody would say, maybe we should cut corners. Maybe we should tighten our belt. My belt's so tight right now. 
it could snap me in half. We've cut so many corners at this church that we live in a circle. It always amazes me how people are free to, to express, you know, their opinions and how God's working miracles in you. Can you imagine what Mary dealt with? Let me guarantee you, your soul is responsible to magnify the Lord. Let's move on to my spirit. This is the spirit of God within. We've been spending a lot of time looking at that. We saw on Sunday that this is the first capacity in Jesus from the time he was a baby to where he grew in stature. This is the first capacity that God worked on from his throne. My spirit rejoices in God who is working this delivering thing in the overwhelming rule of the almighty God. My spirit rejoices. This is our friend rejoicing, which you've studied about, you've heard, heard sermons about. Um, that quality and dynamic of the spirit of God within you, which is different, same spirit, but different than the spirit of God which comes upon you, the spirit of God which descends and fills you for a period which you have to keep being filled, keep on being filled, is different than cooperating with a move of the Spirit somewhere. This is what God has entrusted to you. It's what's given life to you. And you're going to surrender that back to God. This is where your spirit, your spirit prays in other tongues, where your spirit communes with the Spirit of God. You have a responsibility for that. It's different than the soul. Hopefully we can make this more clear over the years, over the year to come, because God is really focusing on this dynamic and this differentiation. We kind of lump everything together as a mulligan stew of our life, and we don't know what anything means. And therefore we can't, we're susceptible to false doctrine, and we can't really apply the scripture, which speaks candidly about the differences between these capacities within ourselves. But the spirit within you rejoices in the God who sent it to you and the delivering power which he has ordained for you to fulfill. Rejoicing, Jesus speaks about, uh, incidentally, in the Beatitudes. Um, and he talks about, blessed are you, when men revile you and say all kinds of evil rhema against you falsely for my name's sake, rejoice exceedingly, for great is your reward in the heavens. Rejoice there, agelio. You spin, you, 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 you jump, you spin. Your spirit does that. Um, that. That term also didn't just mean spin. If you study about it, in a lot of indications, it was to be so overwhelmed that you would shout aloud in the ancient Greek culture when they would be viewing athletic events in their Olympics and they would shout out when one of their nations triumphed over another tribal group or another uh, athletic team from a, a foreign land. Are you really allowing 
the Spirit of God within you that is born again through Christ, before God, before the mission He's given you, that, that manifest from God as to what He wants you to accomplish in life, in this life, are you really letting it be free to express itself? I'm, I'm assuming that's what caused John the Baptist to leap within Elizabeth. His mind was really not operative in a way we would know at this point. He may have heard through the amniotic fluid some noise, but the spirit within leaped my spirit rejoices yeah there's ridicule yeah there's evil rhema you don't go looking for it rest believe you me as the old preacher said it'll find you if you're serving the Lord in this way and if your mind stays true to what needs to be done And you let your spirit express itself in contrition and in communication with God and in other ways, biblically detailed. Th that combination is going to bring the victory. But only that combination will bring the victory. You know, I've talked about this in a number of ways. In fact, I had a conversation with a dear sister about a condition of her back and um, I talked about what I faced recently and how through a process, finally, after dealing with many months and much finance, just dealing with symptoms, got after the root cause. And I recognized that I had to do strengthening exercises that took a significant amount of time every day in order to get my core, my body, functioning in the way it should, and that would eliminate the potential problems, painful problems that I was facing. I know this. But do you know, every day I have to, it's getting easier, but every day I have to convince my mind that I have to do these things, I have to do these exercises. Sometimes I forget, and I come here to my office at the church, and I'm dressed in my Sunday go to meet and clothes, and I think, oh, man, I forgot to do those exercises, and if I don't do them, I'm going to know it. So I have some workout clothes there in my office, and I do those exercises before I emerge from the holy of holies of my sainted office. My mind has to recognize here's what has to be done. It's an inconvenience. Yes. You'd rather be doing something else. Yes. You're, you're, you could be, you could be uh, just blowing it off today. Yes. But my soul has to recognize what has to be done in order for the greater good to be done. And I have to magnify the conception of the greater good and what's required of me. 
and make my mind submit. And then my body follows. Very similar to what we have to do for the apostolic mission that God has given us. And you have to know going in, your main objective is to please the one who sent you. Your main objective is to fulfill what you are birthing in travail. And I, let me talk to you. Let me just get real close to the mic here and talk to you, dear friend. It was easy when we started this mission to surrender things. We, I, we have testimonies of people. Well, I stopped doing this. I had to stop doing that. I'd, and then life changes. Now you're getting older. Now you're familiar with the saint's pathway. It's rote. It, you, know, you still do things, but it doesn't cost you anything. Now you got grown kids. Now you got grandchildren. Now your spouse requires things of you in their aging life. Now your body is not as spry as it used to be, maybe. Your mind can tell you, yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. You know, God will understand. You know, you don't have to pray. You, know, you, don't, you don't really have to come to church. God will understand. My soul magnifies who? The Lord. What God has called you to do does not change for as long as you're on this earth. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, the one who delivers. You have these in your life. You know, I, I'm just telling you, I'm getting off into meddling and preaching here. We are, we are on the verge of unprecedented requirements by the Spirit of God. For our mission. Have you gotten spiritually flabby? Have you forgotten the one you're serving? It's not about pastor. You know, I'm not going to get up there and browbeat people who I think are sloughing off. I see it. I, I, I concerned about it. But as soon as I turn my pulpit from a point of delivering meat into a into a whipping post, then my apostolic calling is gone. I, I would think that when somebody is mature in the Lord, they know these things. Who makes the drill sergeant get up before dawn to get those troops ready? Who makes the doctor, the surgeon, who has to be at the hospital at 6 in the morning? Who makes sure they're up and awake? Who makes sure that they went to bed in enough time so that they are rested to do these intricate surgeries? You know, I had surgery one time very early in the morning, and my doctor I knew got up at least at 4 o'clock just like I did. I appreciate that, and I hoped that he was up to the day and all the technical people, the ancillary staff. 
was was up who who got them up what we're doing is eternal and we see this pattern here in Mary my soul oh look at what elizabeth says that launches that launches this the the orchestra pit to break into music for mary's song blessed is she that believed there will be a performance of those things which were told her from the lord and mary says my soul magnifies the lord it's in response to what Elizabeth with a jumping belly said. Anyway, Merry Christmas. You didn't know I was going to preach at you today, did you? My soul magnifies the Lord. Get your mind ready. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God is watching you and watching your adherence to what you need to become to serve him. Because henceforth, nations and generations will know that the blessing they're knowing in God came because of your devotion. He that is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. Mighty, dinatos, a variation of dunamis. You can study these out for yourselves. He that knows how things should function is initiating this in me so that the function of his will in this day and the function of his kingdom from this moment can be initiated and launched through me because this is part of his saintly calling in his name. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. The same thing Mary says there in verse 49. Anyway, Thanks for joining today. Merry Christmas. Um, the progressive police have not tried to remove that. Probably by next year they'll try. But we still say Merry Christmas. We'll see you tonight in prayer, whether you can be here in person at the Father's Church or whether you'll be joining from some other place. May God keep us all firmly committed to what we as individuals are called to do, what we as a church are called to do, what we as a network of saints are called to do. It's not over. In many ways, it's just beginning. Don't come so near to the shore and become shipwrecked. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about that where a ship laden with goods was trying to navigate into port. They, got, they let the storm affect them. They, they got lazy. They forgot the pitfalls, the shoals. I was watching a documentary on the pirates in the 1700s on the seas in the Caribbean and um, how that one Spanish galleon was laden with treasures from South America. And they came close to the shore because they thought 
they were going to evade the, the eye of a particular storm and they crashed. They're still finding gold ingots from that crash 300, year, 300 years later. It would be nice if some of our Floridian beachgoers would find a few of those. Probably have to report them to the government. Probably some of those 85,000 new IRS agents are probably uh, going to be watching specifically for that so Uncle Joe can get as much dough as he can. Oh, I'm just rambling here, obviously, so it's time to stop. Thank you, Father, for the example of Mary. May we see those same principles, and may we employ them in our service for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all, and goodbye. <laughs>